Hi there. How you doing? Great to see you. About two weeks ago, I was uh, going to California for a conference that I was speaking at. I spoke uh, three times at this, uh, at this conference in Los Angeles, and I almost didn't make it. And the reason I almost didn't make it is because I missed my flight. First time in my life I've ever missed a flight uh, in my life. Uh, Pastor Mark was with me, and uh, you know I usually get there a little bit more than an hour before. So we parked in the parking garage a little more than an hour before, and then we made our way over. Of course, uh, we didn't check a bag because checking a bag is for rookies. Um, you know, listen, any trip under seven days, carry on. Unless you're a woman, that's a different thing. But I'm going to leave it at that because I want you guys to like, girls to like me. Okay, so let's just leave it at that. Um, <clears throat> but I'll tell you what, we got there and security was just going so incredibly slow. Uh, it was so frustrating. Uh, you know, TSA was taking their time because, you, as you know, TSA stands for a thousand standing around. And uh, so after about 50 minutes of just waiting, um, I finally had to kind of take matters into my own hands. And I said to the, to the girl, the TSA girl, I'm like, hey, listen, um, my flight is already boarding. So she opens up the, uh, the little gate there and lets me go. Mark and I go to the front of the line. We go through security. And then comes the time where we got to start running because according to Murphy's Law, of course, the gate that I'd be leaving from would be the absolute farthest away. I mean, the only thing that would be further is if I was leaving at a, from a different airport. So it was so far. So we just start running. And so as we're running down, uh, you know, because it was like, you know, D10 or something where we went through security. It was D50 where we were leaving from. So I'm running and then I'm looking and I'm like, oh, I got a few minutes uh, the, the plane's not leaving yet for like another 15 minutes or so. And the, you know how at, at, in, at the airport in Miami, there's those little Versailles stands? Um, so I get there and I slow down. And I'm like, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to a couple paparillanas to take on the plane with me. So I stop, get in line to get a couple of paparillanas because I'm just a sucker for these things. I, I mean, seriously, I can eat them like cough drops and uh, very large cough drops, but still. And... Uh, so anyway, so I stop and then I get there to the front of the line and they say, oh, we just ran out. And I'm like, Arr! so start running again to get back to the gate. We get to the gate, still thinking like I'm still got like 12 minutes before the plane takes off and the lady had just closed the door. I'm like, whoa, 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 don't close the door. I'm here. I have a boarding pass. I'm all set and uh, I'm not checking a bag. Just let me on the plane and I'll find a seat. And uh, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, um, we're, we're done boarding. And I'm like, but it doesn't take off. The plane is still there. The little vacuum thing is still connected. Just let me in. No, well, they don't open the door. And so anyway, five-minute conversation with the lady. She finally agrees and says, well, how about I go over and ask them if they'll open the door? I'm like, how about you do that? And uh, so she goes over and then she comes back and she says, well, I'm sorry. They said they wouldn't open the door. And I said, ma'am. I need to get on that plane. I want you to give me a phone and I want it connected to the pilot. You give me two, set, two minutes with him and I'll be on that plane. And, uh, and she said, well, that's not the way we do it. Um, and so, but I have, do have good news. I can get you on the 145 flight that leaves in three hours. And I'm like, come on. You know, anyway, so, uh, so I said, anyway, she said no. And then I said, listen, why didn't you call us on the loudspeaker? You knew you were missing two people. You know, that you, your, your, your computer said that we were in the airport somewhere. Well, you know, we were just held up at security. I didn't tell her about the other thing. And, uh, and, uh, and I said, you know, why didn't you call? And she goes, well, we only call for international flights. And I, so and needless to say, I wasn't a happy camper. And then after all of that, uh, you know, and then you got three hours to kill to get on the plane. And, um, and Mark says, well, at least you have plenty of time to get those paparrellanas you wanted. And I'm like, don't judge me, Mr. Hey, pick me up a couple croquetas while you're there. Uh, you know, anyway, people, man. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been that. You've been late. Uh, and, not, and I don't mean late like how most people are late. Like, oh, I was late. I slipped in during the third song late at church. Don't think we don't notice. Um, we don't. We notice. And we're jotting it all down. Um, now... We, uh, that, I'm not, that, I'm talking about late where it's late and you can't do anything about it. It's over. Like, 
you know, we had this thing. We, my wife and I went to Carter's the other day. This is kind of how we just a little messed up sometimes. We went to Carter's to get some stuff for my daughter who turns 10 months today. Um, but we, um, we were getting some new pajamas for her. And, uh, you know, Carter's, they have like all these crazy sales. And so they have this 40% off sale. And then there's another 25% off. And then I had a 50% off coupon. And I'm like, by the time it's all said and done, I'm going to bring these pajamas. And they're going to hand me like 10 bucks to take them. Anyway, that's what I was thinking. So I go there. I hand her like, well, I'm sorry. We can't use this coupon. And I'm like, ma'am, this is the coupon. You know, anyway, so she's like, I can't use it. It's expired. I'm like, no, 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 look at the date. It's right there, October. And she's like, yeah, but it's 2011 is when it expired. And I said, um, Hey, what's that? And then we just ran out. Uh, No, no, we didn't. We didn't. Uh, We were just embarrassed, but I blamed it on my wife, so it was okay. And um, so I'm like, well, you know, what are you going to do? And, uh, but, you know, you you have that. You kind of like, you you miss something that you wanted to be at. You know, maybe it's a meeting and you overslapped. You're like, oh, I can't believe that. I I, I missed this meeting. Maybe it was an event with your kids that they were performing in and and then you missed it for whatever reason. It's the worst feeling. And, And there's, you know, there's nobody that's going to be calling on the loudspeaker to, you know, to yell your name to get you there. Because apparently that's only for international flights. Um, but here's the thing. In spiritual life, in spiritual life, it's different. In spiritual life, there is a loudspeaker. There is someone that's kind of banging the gong, that's ringing the bell. Somebody that's, that's challenging us. And that's you and me. You see, we're the ones that are sounding the alarm. We're the ones that are letting people know that Jesus is coming back and that we want every person possible to get in before the door closes. And the Apostle Paul, as he closes out the book of 1 Thessalonians, he's going to close with some challenges, not for everybody else, but for you and me, those of us who are Christians, those of us who love the Lord, those of us who are looking forward to His return. And he's going to be challenging us and and sharing with us and letting us know, hey, this is the way we need to live if we really believe that he's coming back. This is the way that we need to act if we really believe he's coming back. This is the way we need to interact with people if we really believe that he's coming back. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we read the last few verses of this epistle together. So open your Bibles there, iPhone app, whatever you got, scroll, whatever you brought. Just open it up, 1 Thessalonians 5. Here's where we're going to begin in verse 12. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's four things that I want to tell you about how to live in the last days according to, this, uh, according to the verses that we're going to read. The first is this, uh, in in verses 12 and 13, he tells us this essentially, respect those who lead you. That's the first thing that he said. And so he says, you know, recognize those who labor among you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in work for their work's sake. This is the don't be a pain in the butt to your pastor verse in the Bible, if you need to note that. Um, Now, here's what I've learned. I've been in pastoral ministry now for 15 years. Um, I started, I was, I was young. I was about seven. Um, now that I'm 22, um, no, uh, I, I've been in, I've been pastoral ministry for 15 years, three as an assistant pastor and, uh, 12 now as a senior pastor. And here's what I've learned. Some people love to complain, not you, the people in the 10 o'clock service. Uh, no, no, not them. People in the 10 o'clock service somewhere else. Those people love to complain. That's why I'm here. Um, but some people, they just feel like their ministry is just stating the obvious. I mean, years ago, when we first started our church, I had a lady come up to me and tell me that her spiritual gift was the gift of criticism. And I told her, and I said, ma'am, that's not a gift of the Holy Spirit, but what it is, is super annoying. And uh, anyway, she never came back. And we all rejoiced. And, uh, (laughs) but here's the point. I don't know why I'm telling you all this stuff today. I just feel good. Um. You know, the point is this, if we're living in the last days, if we really are living in the last days, then here's what we need to be doing. We need to be rowing the boat, not rocking the boat. Um, You see, and and that can happen. Uh, My daughter, uh, my daughter Mia, who's who's five, she'll be six in January. She is turning into this amazing young woman who loves God. I mean, I I am just, I I couldn't be prouder of her. Um, I mean, she prays and I cry. I mean, it is just... 
It's amazing to me. She has this depth in her relationship with God uh, that it just shocks me and just blows me away for just a five-year-old. And, um, but it wasn't always like this. I mean, it used to be that Mia would make us cry for all different reasons. Um, and uh, because of the hard time that she would give us. And so like the first three years of her life was just pretty much, um, you know, from zero to three was just like one long fight uh, to get her to do anything. And, um, you know, and so I remember one time that we wanted Mia to uh, sit so we could have dinner. And she said, no, she wanted to play. And we're like, come on, just please sit so we can play. Uh, so we sit so we can eat. And she didn't want to. So Carrie picks her up and sits her on the chair uh, in, in this little kind of chair deal that she had. And, um, and so she's about two and a half at the time. And so she tells her mom, she says, mommy, I'm sitting, but I'm still playing on the inside. And, uh, and uh, that pretty much summarizes zero to three of Mia's life. And, uh, but this is how many Christians are with leadership in the church. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I do, and I don't talk about it a lot, but I, one of the things that I do besides being the pastor here to, to you is I spend a lot of time being a pastor to pastors and ministering to pastors. And, and I can tell you this, that pastors are really doing the very best they can. Um, but pastors, I believe, do best when they know that God's people are behind them. When all of us together are doing what we're supposed to be doing. You see, that's the thing that, um, to me, I think is, is, is so important. Because when we get it wrong, you see, sometimes we can come into the church, and here's what we start to think, is that the church is, is a dispenser of religious goods and services. And so we come in, and then I'm just, you know, like I go to Costco for all of my bulk needs, and then I come to church for all of my uh, religious needs. And so it's like, well, then I just kind of want something that meets the, 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 you know, the religious needs that I have. And if it's not quite to my liking, then I'll just go to wherever there's another show in town, and, and I'll do that. And listen, and, we're, and if, we, if we think that, we're actually going to miss it. You see, the, the, the church is not the dispenser of religious goods and services. The church is the movement of God. It's this one institution that, that Jesus established before ascending to heaven. And it's where we're on the mission of God. And listen, we don't get to place orders for the program that we want. We have to get involved in God's program of reaching the world. And listen, that's one of the things that I love so much about Calvary. Can I just tell you that? If I can just brag on you guys for just a moment. That's one of the things that I love about this church so much is that, um, you know, this isn't a place where like, you know, the pastor has to get shot out of a cannon every week or there's like all this crazy stuff has to happen. That's not why you guys keep showing up here. You guys show up because we have worship that's passionate and we just teach the Bible. And that's what gets you excited and fired up. And you hear about what we're teaching. Like, yeah, I want to be there. I want to grow. I want my friends who don't know Jesus to come to know him. And, and that's the thing that gets you fired up. And listen, do you know that it makes being your pastor an absolute joy? And it really is. And from the bottom of my heart, it really is a joy um, to, be, to be your pastor. And uh, I love what the Bible says in, in Hebrews 13 on the same, along the same lines. It says, remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. You see, what's the result of this? And here's why Paul says all of this. The result of honoring those and following those who we lead, is here's what he says. He says, and then uh, esteem them for the worst, and be at peace amongst yourselves. You see, a lot of times in, in churches, there's a lot of division and hostility, and it stems from a distrust in leadership. And listen, I'm so blessed that that's not the case here because as we are living in these last days, we've got to be united doing what God has called us to do to reach people far from him and then discipling them to a place of maturity in Christ. That's what we do. That's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years and we can't get away from that, especially now in these final days in which we live. But Paul goes on from that and here's what he says in verse 14. And he says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the second thing I want to tell you um, about how to live in the last days. Number one is respect those who lead you. Number two is respond to those around you. Respond to those around you. The main reason I believe that we have conflict 
is because we don't think about the words that we use in speaking to other people. I mean, when your spouse comes home and they've got a mad look and you say, what's your problem? Like, that's just a recipe for a night that's not that nice. So instead of saying, what's your problem? You could say this, honey, what's troubling you? You see, it's such a big difference. Same thing, there's a problem, but like, hey, what's your problem? See, or, or if we say something like, you want to know what your problem is? Like, let me tell you something that there has never been any crisis in the world that has ever been solved with the beginning sentence. Do you want to know what your problem is? Because when somebody tells me that, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what my problem is because I'm pretty sure it's going to hurt. Um, so that's what, you know, there's this proverb that I love. Uh, it's one of my favorites and uh, you should commit it to memory sometime. It's Proverbs 25:11. It's in your notes. It says this, that a word fitly spoken are like apples of gold and settings of silver. A word fitly spoken, the right word at the right time, are like apples of gold in, settings, in, in a setting of silver. You see, Paul actually goes on and he talks about five different conversations we need to have. Examples of how we speak to those going through different challenges and different seasons. And I want to go over them with you. Look at in, uh, in verse 14. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. That term unruly in the Greek language refers to a soldier who's out of line. He's out of step with the rest of the troop. He's decided not to follow the person that's above him, but instead he's decided to go his own way. So in a sense, it's like we're marching to the beat of Jesus's drum and, and some, one of the soldiers says, I'm going to kind of do my own thing here. I think I know what God wants, but I've got my own idea as to how this works. And there is a moment you see, when he says, warn those who are unruly, warn those who are out of step with what God is desiring for their lives, there is a moment to just stand up, get in their face, and tell them what's up. Um, because when you're, like, think about the warning sign. Let me show you this. Like, this, this is a warning sign. Did you know, like, this is very blunt, right? Touch this fence and you will die. That's pretty much what it says. It's not like, excuse me, I'm sorry. If you have a minute, um, I would prefer you like not touch the fence because if you did, I mean, you might feel like 155,000 volts like flooding through your body and you just, you know, you might be dead a little, but you know, and, like that's not what it says. Touch it, you're dead. That's it. That's it. Now I have to show you some, uh, the picture's a little graphic, but I have to show you someone who didn't obey this rule. Pedro, show it. Look at that. Guys wiped out, totally wiped out. You know, the 10 o'clock thought this was a lot funnier. Pedro, take it back. Now, check this out. Look at that. You see that? You see? You see how I encourage you to be godly? See that? All right. Um, now, listen, but there are moments that you just want to, you got to talk to somebody. You got to tell them, hey, here's the deal. This is what's up. And, and uh, but, th but that's not the only way you talk to people. The second thing that he says is he says, uh, he says, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted. Another way to translate that would be comfort the discouraged. When somebody's discouraged, you don't get in their face like a drill sergeant. No, instead, listen, they need a word of comfort that things are going to get better as they trust the Lord. There's something interesting that I find within these first two people, the unruly and then the faint-hearted. The unruly person, the unruly person um, is assuming on God's grace. Hey, I'm going to do my own thing. Oh, I'm sure God will forgive me. It'll be fine. The discouraged person has forgotten God's grace. They need to be encouraged and reminded of what God wants to do in their lives. And, uh, and, and we need to, be, to remind them of God's goodness and grace and his faithfulness. The third one is this. He says, um, up, the third one, uh, comfort the, uh, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak. The idea here is those who are weak in faith. They don't know yet how to trust the Lord. So those of us who are mature need to help, uh, help people take steps to increase their faith. Now, let me give you an example um, from my own life. Um, now, there is nothing wrong, according to the Bible. There is nothing wrong with a person um, going out to dinner with their spouse and ordering a glass of wine. And, uh, uh, you know, so you go home, you have a beer. That's not a big deal, okay? Bible doesn't say anything about that. Bible says plenty about people who get drunk and the sin of drunkenness. But the Bible doesn't say anything um, negative about someone who has one drink. In fact, in the book of 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul 
would tell young Timothy as he's having some stomach problems, he says, hey, don't just drink water, but drink a little bit of wine because it's going to help you with the infirmities that you have. However, in America, one out of three people is either an alcoholic or they are adversely affected by someone who is an alcoholic. That is either they are one or they have a family member or friend who is an alcoholic. And so while the Bible would give us the freedom to have that, that drink, I, my personal conviction is I, I've chosen not to drink um, because when my wife and I go out to dinner, I mean, we see people from church all the time or people who've read one of my books or whatever. Um, and, and it's just, it's just how it is. I mean, I was at Epcot on Friday and ran, and I'm in Germany and I, Hey, pastor Bob, like what's up dude. And, uh, and it's just, it's just kind of the way it is. And so we see people from church that, that, you know, recognize us or whatever. Could you imagine how awkward it is? I'm sitting at a restaurant and I'm like slamming back a Dos Equis as a guy walks up, pastor Bob, like, what do I say to the guy? You know, stay thirsty, my friends. You know, I don't know. I guess that's all you could say to him. Um, but see, <laughs> some things aren't in the notes. Um, but here's the thing. It's not that having one beer is wrong, but it's that. And once again, in my life, it has the potential um, to stumble so many people. So I just choose not to do it. Why? Because I'm, I'm trying to uphold those who are weak and help them mature in the faith because the last thing that I want to do is put something in front of them that's going to stumble them as they're taking their first few steps with God. You see, the Bible would say it this way in Romans chapter 14, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace uh, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Number four, he would say this. This is in verse uh, 14. Be patient with all. I like the old King James rendering of that where he says, um, be long-suffering with all. Um, and you say, what's long-suffering? Uh, you ever been to the DMV? That's long-suffering. It goes on for a long time and you're suffering the whole time. That's pretty much it. Um, and it, it. But the idea is having a long fuse before you get mad. In uh, James chapter 1, James would write, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the, righteousness of man, uh, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then lastly, he says, See that no one renders evil for evil in verse 15. Um, you see, when, when God established the eye, whole eye for an eye thing in, um, in the Old Testament, Sometimes we look at that and we say, well, why would God establish that, that it's just eye for an eye? Because he understands human nature. If someone walks up to you and just like pokes out your eye, what are you going to want to do? I'm going to take out both of your eyes. In fact, I'm going to chop your head off. How about that? And then I'm going to show you your body that's been decapitated. Um, now, that's because we're a bit extreme, right? And, and because we don't go like, we, you know, you do something to me, I'm going to do double. That, that's just human nature. To want to revenge. And see, the problem with revenge is, is that it doesn't ever bring about the outcome that we want. Revenge is a lot like eating cotton candy. Where it is. It is. You, you ever been hungry and you just have this huge thing of cotton candy and you just start eating it and, and, it, just, and it just disappears? And it's like, no, no, no. And, and you could buy a cotton candy thing that's bigger than your head and eat it. And you know what? And it doesn't satisfy what you're feeling. And the same thing is true with revenge. It just doesn't do it. And that's why God limits it when he's establishing a system of government in the Old Testament. And what he says in the New Testament in personal relationships is don't render evil for evil. Instead, he does. He says something else. He says, don't be in your notes. He says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. That is totally counterintuitive for us, because when someone does evil to us, we want to actually respond in like kind. Um, I, I, let me tell you how this played out in my life. And I wish I could say this happened all the time. I have one illustration about it. I'm hoping to have more over the course of my life. But I was, on, I was driving down Pines Boulevard going west. And uh, I'm pulling into like the Pember Garden shops. And so I'm getting into that turn lane. And I cut this guy off so bad. I mean, it was bad. It was like the kind of stuff that we, when we would get cut off, we would go nuts. But I cut this guy off so bad. And then I got to be in the turn lane with him. Because that's the worst. Like when it's red, you cut him off and like, sup? You know, that's so weird. Like I didn't even know what to do. So anyway, we get into the turn lane. And he rolls down the window. And he starts screaming at me. 
And uh, so I decide to roll down my window. I don't know why I do this. I don't have one of these. I actually have a button, but this doesn't really have the effect. So anyway, I roll down the, I hit the little button. And so I get, the window comes down and uh, he's just going crazy. And then I, he said something about my mom, I think, uh, and a few other things that I can't repeat in church. And um, so anyway, so, and I, and I was at fault. I, I really cut him off, but the guy was saying something. He was saying some things that really upset me. And, um, and by the way, just for the record, I totally could have taken him. FYI, just, that's just a little aside. I totally could have taken him. All right. But that's the last thing you want. Cover of Sun Sentinel pastor lays out wimpy guy, you know, anyway. Um, so anyway, but I roll, I, I get the window comes down. He's yelling at me. And I said, um, dude, you're totally right. I'm sorry. What were you thinking? Oh, this and that, you know expletive 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 and uh and i'm like you're absolutely right i'm really sorry and then he kind of steps back and then he starts yelling at me again and and i'm like dude you're absolutely right i'm really sorry and anyway after the third time he realized i wasn't going to retaliate and he's like and then (sighs) all right drive safe and have a nice night i kid you not drive safe and have a nice night and uh, i'm like you too and, uh, and then we were buddies after that. And, uh, and we shared a beer. No, he had one and I watched. Uh, I kid you not. No, he, we drove off. Uh, <laughs> I kid not. Uh, wow, that could be taken out of context. We just drove off. I'd never seen him again, ever. Um, but it's the power of overcoming evil with good. And that's the point. That's why Paul goes on. Look at what he says. He's going to give three short statements, in ver- starting in verse 16, that are just so powerful. In verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Here's the third point, how to live in the last days. React wisely to circumstances. React wisely. You see, when he says rejoice always, isn't that tough? Especially when things happen that you wish wouldn't happen, or you got to do stuff that you don't want to do, and you're like, man, how do I do this with a good attitude? Um, last Sunday was, uh, my birthday. And, uh, by the way, it's, if, if you didn't know, it's okay. I'm still accepting gifts. Um, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Anyway, so, <laughs> uh, I don't know what's up with me today. Um, but, uh, anyway, so my kids, I get home from church and my kids threw me a surprise party, which wasn't really much of a surprise because they told me about it before. They're like, Papi, you're going to love your birthday. And then Mia says, I hope someone throws a surprise party for me someday. And, uh, you know, I have these amazing deductive skills. You know, <laughs> you know, uh, anyway. Um, so the point is, is that there's food and there's cake and there's fun. And then after all of that, um, I sat down. I really wanted to watch the Patriots game. Uh, I grew up in Boston. I'm a big Patriots fan. Now, listen, I know. I know. Okay, I understand that you guys like another team, and I'm sorry that they're bad, okay? And I'm sorry that they've been bad for a long time. But don't hate because my team is good, all right? So let's just leave it at that. Because I see, I, I, I feel, felt a little, little resistance right there. But I just want you to know, I feel your pain. My team was bad once. I mean, it's been a long time since they were bad. But that, anyway, but, you know, I know we lose games every once in a while. There was a one season, well, that one season we didn't lose any games. But, uh, you know, anyway, the whole point is, is that we've lost before. And it's horrible for that one week. Anyway, all right, let's move on. So uh, the point is, is that I'm from Boston. I really wanted to watch the Patriots game. So I... Uh, and I never get to watch them because I've always got something going on, but it's my birthday and everything's gone on. And now I'm going to turn this on four o'clock. They're playing the Jets and uh, we're like, let's do this. So anyway, my wife is, starts talking to my brother-in-law and, my bro- and uh, she starts telling him, I, I, need to, I need to find a handyman. And um, now you would think that I would find that insulting. I don't find that insulting at all. That's because when things break in my house, I just leave them alone because I don't want to break them more. Because that's how it works. Like, you know, anyway, because usually, like, like, one time I almost, I, I decided I was going to install a light fixture, and I almost blew up the house. So I just said, you know what, I'm retiring, okay, from that. So anyway, 
so my brother-in-law gets, he's like, Carrie, I'm insulted. You know, now my, my, uh, my brother-in-law is, uh, he is an electrical contractor. He, you give this guy like three washers, a roll of duct tape, and a screwdriver, and he will build you a house. Um, you know, anyway, you know, you give that stuff to me, and I will tape myself. You know what I mean? It just is not going to work. So my brother-in-law says, well, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And so she says, well, Carrie says, the, the kids, the front toilet in our house, in the bathroom, it just, it's sliding all around. And so I don't know what happened. And sometimes, you know, the kids, they jump around and all that. But the thing is just moving around like this. And I don't, uh, and, and so like there's, you know, the two screws and the two screws just aren't holding on to anything. And then the person who lived here before us, um, uh, I've been telling Bob that I want to get, he, the guy who lived here before us actually put wood down in the, uh, in the bathroom. And so I've been telling Bob that I want to get rid of it. And we just celebrated seven years of living in this house. And Bob quite, quite hasn't really gotten to it yet um, for, you know, do whatever you will with that. And, uh, and so, and he's like, oh, let me take a look at it. So I'm here just enjoying the football game, you know, and it's going great. And then he says to me, my brother-in-law, Jim, he says, hey, do you, where do you have your screwdrivers? And I say, oh, I have like all these tools. They're like brand new. So they've never been used. Uh, so they're out in the garage. So he comes out, he gets, grabs a couple things, and he starts like digging up this wood floor. And Carrie comes over and she says, you know, Bob, maybe you should help him. And I'm like, but Carrie, it's the Patriots. And hold, let me check the calendar. Oh yeah, it's my birthday, woman. Like, come on. And then I hear things like cracking and all this stuff and he's tearing up the floor. And, um, and then she's like, but you got, you know, you can't just sit here while he does that. I'm like, watch me. And, uh, and so (laughs) I say, fine. So I get up and I (laughs) I go over there and, uh, we start, uh, and anyway, within like 15 minutes, we have torn. And I say, we, I mean, mostly him. I like held the tools and stuff and uh, we have torn up the entire floor. We have removed the toilet. That was an eye opener. I'd never, you know that when you just remove the toilet, it's just like a hole in the ground. I had no idea. I did not even understand the inner workings of a toilet. I mean, I knew this, that's it. Anyway, and I just see that part. That's all I knew. I could now give you a diagram of how a toilet works, ins and outs, the water, the whole thing. It really, seriously, it's a fascinating invention. I told Carrie, no matter where I live, I'm going to have at least one of these in the house. This is awesome. So anyway, so I, I, (laughs) So we actually remove the toilet, okay? I promise this is going somewhere. Um, We remove the toilet, and and part of the thing with the toilet is it has to have like this wax thing on the bottom that seals it. The thing that they do with the wax is the wax is like a shade of brown. And so the thing was almost gone, and so we're like removing the toilet and moving all this stuff. And so you get, you know, your hands are getting all dirty, and uh, it's like this brown color. And you're not really sure what exactly is getting on your hands, if I'm insinuating correctly. And um, so anyway, we go to Home Depot, we get a bunch of supplies, and then we come back and we're doing all this stuff. And, uh, you know, because the thing's been moving, the toilet's been moving, it hasn't, everything hasn't always kind of hit the, gone through the chute, if I, uh, uh, these are all technical terms I know, uh, correctly. And so Carrie's been saying there's like a weird smell in the bathroom. I can't really smell anything. So I'm like, I don't smell anything. Um, so anyway, so and Carrie comes in and she says, you know, Bob, uh, your hands smell like poop. And I said, oh, no, sister. It's so much worse. It's 10-year-old poop, which just takes it to another level. And so anyway, Carrie's, Carrie comes in. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I thought he was just going to give us a 15-minute consultation. And it tur- he, he, he just did everything. I didn't think I would actually see the toilet in the tub, and, uh, which not, is not a bad invention. Um, but that just wasn't what we were doing. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I actually thought the whole thing was hilarious um, at the end. And, uh, so, and so she's being very apologetic. I'm telling her not to worry about it. And, uh, and, I'm tra- and she's like, so what are you thinking? And I'm like, I'm thinking about what I'm teaching next week. Rejoice always. And uh, I've got to handle this well. If I handle it well, I'll have a great illustration. If I don't, 
then all of this stuff on my hands is for naught. And so I've got to handle it well. And then the whole thing. And so, but I did say, you know, because afterwards I like, you know, disinfected and showered and all this. And so uh, I, I, we're, we're laying in bed before we go to sleep. And she's like, so how, how do you, I'm so sorry again about the whole toilet thing and everything. And, and I said, Kara, don't worry about it because I realized something. Um, if this is how my 39th year began, it can only get better from here. So that's the way I'm looking at it. And, uh, and, and the point is this, like cleaning sewage, I can promise you is not at the top of my list. Okay. Um, but I, I just, I just made a decision that I was going to make the best of it. And, uh, and it actually turned out to be a fairly fun experience. And what Paul is saying is he's not saying that you should thank God whenever something bad happens. You see, I want you to notice what he says. It's so important that um, he, he talks about in verse 18, in everything, give thanks. In everything, not for everything. You see, you don't have to give thanks for the fact that you got sick. You don't have to give thanks for the fact that the kids aren't doing what you hoped that they would do. You don't have to give thanks for the fact that maybe your marriage isn't where you hoped it would be. You don't have to give thanks for what's happening in your career or, or, you know, or, or, or whatnot. But here's the thing. But we do have a decision to make that we can give thanks in everything. And you say, why and how? How is that? There's a couple of things. One is because we know that God, and in every experience, God is teaching us something. We know that in every experience that God is actually turning this for good. How in the world could that happen? Ask Joseph. When he was sold into slavery, accused of rape, when he was then forgotten in prison, and then at the end, he becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt. He turns to his brothers later on and he says, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. That God knows that, 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 we, that all things are working together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. That's why when he says rejoice always, he would expand that idea in the book of Philippians when he says rejoice always. And again, I will say rejoice. How do you do that? That's why he says pray without ceasing. That word for uh, pray, uh, pray without ceasing in, in the original language is actually a word picture. And it refers to somebody who has a nagging cough that just won't go away. And you, you ever have that? You're getting over being sick and you're still, <clears throat> <clears throat> and you're just like, you feel like you're still hacking up a lung even though you're feeling better. And it's just, there's this cough that will not go away. And that's the thing that Paul is saying. Pray like that. Where it's just constant. And, and it just doesn't ever quite end. And by the way, this is why I think sometimes we have this idea of prayer that it's, uh, oh, I'm going to pray and I got to light the candle and I got to stand in such a way and close my eyes and, and then I've got to uh, fold my hands. And, and, and by the way, you know, in the Bible, that's not the picture of most people praying. It's not uh, kneeling, eyes closed, head bowed with their hands folded. It's someone standing with their eyes open, facing up with their arms outstretched. Throughout the Bible, that's the picture of people praying. And so the idea then becomes, uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is a guy by the name of Nehemiah, who, if you were with us last fall, we studied through the book of Nehemiah. And, and the whole idea is this, is that as we, um, Nehemiah is, the cool thing about Nehemiah is that he wasn't like a prophet or a priest or a pastor. He was just a regular guy. A guy who goes into the, into the field of construction to build this wall. So he's essentially this, you know, general contractor walking in, just having this lifestyle of praying all the time. And so he goes in to a situation, man, I'm going to go before the king. What should I say? And then he'll say this. And then I prayed before the God of heaven. And it's not like the king says, what do you want me to do for you? And he's like, well, give me 45 minutes to pray and fast, and then I'll give you a list. He says, it's just, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, God, help me to do the right thing and say the right thing in the right way. Okay, here's what I need. And that God was with him. And, and here's one of the things that I, that I think is, is important. That prayer, listen, is like breathing. It's like breathing. The more that I inhale the presence of God, the more that I can exhale the word of God and the wisdom of God when we need it most. Are there moments when it's hard to give thanks? Of course. But I believe that as we just think of prayer more like breathing, 
we're just in this constant relationship and this constant flow of inhaling the Spirit of God and exhaling the Word of God and the wisdom of God in our lives, we can know that God is still with us and that He promises to never leave us or forsake us. Well, here's where it ends. Look at verse 19. He says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. And I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Here's the last thing I want to show you. And that is, we're living in the last days. How does God want us to live? To remember God's work in you. Remember God's work in you. He says, don't despise prophecies. I mean, what is a prophecy exactly? And let me, in fact, answer this question that comes up. And that is, are there prophets today? Now, my answer to that question, are there prophets today, is yes and no. And you might think, man, with an answer like yes and no, you should go into politics. Um, Now, here's what I mean. There's two ways to think about the role of a prophet. There is the office of a prophet in the Old Testament. This is the person who speaks on behalf of God and not only speaks on behalf of God, but he also communicates um, what's going to become the word of God because he's writing out prophecies of things that will take place. So in many ways, he is foretelling what's going to happen. You see, when the Bible ends... Well, let me say this, that that role, you say, oh man, that'd be a cool thing to have. By the way, if you have that role, you can't be wrong even one time. Because there's like a little problem if you're wrong one time. Listen to what it says. Um, He says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I've not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So it's not like, hey, I prophesied 99 times and it was good. The one time it wasn't so good, you got to be right 100% of the time. The other thing is this, is that, um, let me read you one more verse, and then I'll, we'll, we'll move on from here. In, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, in, time, in the past, God has spoken to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in many various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. God used the prophets to write his word, the Bible. But the final word, according to this passage, what he would give would be through his Son. You get to the end of the Bible in in the book of Revelation. And what do you have? You have Jesus at Revelation 22 speaking. And where does it take us? It takes us through eternity. See, we can't improve on that. We can't go past that. And so that's why why it's it's completed. So we don't have prophets, the office of a prophet like in the Old Testament anymore. What we do have is what we see in the New Testament are people who would prophesy. And that is, these are people who weren't foretelling the future. They were foretelling telling the word of God. They were just communicating what God had already said. They were using the right word at the right time. A specific verse at a specific moment that gave a specific outcome. In fact, here's what the Bible would say about a person who prophesies. He who prophesies speaks three things. Edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. What does it mean, edify? That means that the words will build us up. It'll challenge us to grow in our faith because of the word that we hear. Not just edify that it will build us up, but exhortation that will stir us up. It'll challenge us to put feet to our faith and do what God wants us to do. But there could be an opportunity where we need encouragement. And that's where he says that it speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. That is, those words will also lift us up. It'll remind us of God's attributes. See, sometimes we miss... Uh, We miss this. And so, and that's why he says this. And and here's the point of why someone would give a prophecy, why I would say a word, share a Bible verse at a specific time, at a specific moment that just touches our heart. Because he says this in the verse before that, don't quench the spirit. Now, what does that mean? I mean, it's, that's, it's a very interesting word picture where, because in the, in the, throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is pictured as like a, as a fire, right? In the book of Acts, in the book of, even going back to the book of Exodus, pictures uh, the, the Holy Spirit like a fire. And so to quench the Spirit literally could be to extinguish the Spirit, to extinguish the work of the Spirit. And here's what can happen. 
is that you can come into a place like this, hear a message like this, and we've talked about a lot today. And yet here's what I know, is that as we've talked about a lot, there's probably one, two, or three things that kind of bypassed your brain and went right to your heart. And you just said, oh, that's what God, that's why I came here today. That's what God wanted to speak to me. That's the next step that he wants me to take. And what can happen is this, is that we can hear that, that that's what God wants us to do. That's what the Spirit of God is speaking to us. And what we can do is we can choose to ignore it. Oh, I know God wants me to do that, but I mean, come on. I mean, I know that that's, man, I know that's the very thing that God is speaking to me, but ugh, do I really have to? I mean, today, there's a baptism after, after this service that we're doing. And there's a whole host of people who have decided to get baptized and uh, that have just come to faith in Jesus, you know, over the last few months here at Calvary. But here's the deal. Maybe God, that's, you, heard the, you heard the announcement this morning, you're like, man, I know God wants me to do that. But oh, it's so, it was so chilly this morning. I don't know, really? Could I? Could I do it? It's a little nippy out. I mean, come on. Is that really the will of God for me to be chilly for like 10, 10 seconds? Um, and, 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 and so we start to think that, and then we start to just kind of talk ourselves out of it. And, and, and here's what happens, and it's like, you know, you start to think about it, and it's like, okay, there are people in China right now that, are, that it's like, a, it's, it's, in a, it's a jailable offense to just own a Bible. And, and we're thinking about like, well, it is kind of cold. I mean, come on. No, and what can happen is, and this is the even more important thing, is that the Spirit of God is speaking to us. When we obey the Spirit of God, here's what will happen. We'll hear more clearly the next time. He'll speak to us, and we'll be, you know, maybe it's through a person. Maybe God will just impress something in our hearts. Maybe we'll read the Bible. Oh, man, that's for me. You'll hear a message come forth from the pulpit, and you'll be like, I know that's for me, and you'll act on it. And listen, and you'll, you'll, you'll feel this. Man, I, I understand what it means now to be led by the Spirit because the more that I obey what God is telling me to do, here's what happens. The more that I experience the, the clarity of hearing what God wants me to do. But the more that we continually say no, here's what we do. We quench the work of the Spirit. We extinguish the work of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, last week, I spoke, uh, I spoke to a couple. Um, you know, we gave an invitation last week. And those of you that were here, so many people came forward to give their lives to Jesus. It was, it was an amazing thing if you were here. And, um, and, and what happens is I talked to a couple after the service. And they're like, you know, we wanted to come forward. You gave the invitation and then you kind of gave like a second um, opportunity and and um, we wanted to come forward and 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 we didn't and uh, we were talking and and we said well we should and then between the two of us we just kind of um, we just kind of like talked ourselves out of it and we wanted to know I mean could would you be able to to pray with us to receive Christ and I said no you missed it you're totally no I'm, I'm kidding um, I didn't I didn't say that and I said, yeah, we can pray right now. We prayed. They, they prayed to receive Christ. And, um, and, 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 he, and here's the thing. Um, they, in that very moment, felt this whole thing of we were quenching what God was doing in our lives. And here's the point. That God has been working in you throughout this message. God has been speaking to you, all of us, speaking to us in different ways. Challenging us to make some changes. Challenging us to let some things go. Challenging us to take a step of faith. And for some of us, we wonder, we say, man, for God to lead me and direct me, how does that work? And I know this, that some of us, you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never um, asked him to forgive you. Because listen, you know what? All of us are sinners. All of us have messed up. We've all made the wrong choice. And God loved us so much, he, could, he couldn't bear to leave us in that condition. And so he sent Jesus to die for us. And as Jesus died for us and then rose again, here's what he offers us. He offers us hope, peace, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and, and a chance to start over. A chance to call God our Father. A chance to go to heaven when we die but a chance to also have real life while we're here. You see, that's the place where we begin. And all these other things begin, then be, get added to us as we walk with him, as we know him, as we learn more about him. You say, well, how does that work? I mean, how can I make a decision to follow Jesus? Here's, um, can I, if I can just share this with you. 20 years ago, um, 
my brother shared the gospel with me, my older brother. And he told me this. He said, Robert, I know you. You're one of the biggest screw-ups I've ever met in my life. Uh, And I didn't disagree. And he said, but that's okay. God's in the business of changing the lives of screw-ups like me. And what he did was is that I prayed to receive Christ in my brother's kitchen. And he led me in a prayer. And uh, the girl I was dating, today is my wife now of almost 16 years. Um, We prayed to receive Christ at that very moment together. And my life has never been the same. Her life has never been the same. And our, there's, we look back and we say, the life that God has given to us, we know never would have happened if it wasn't for that night. That we heard the Spirit of God speaking to us, leading us, saying we heard the gospel that Jesus died for us, the invitation to come to know him. And we didn't want, we didn't know the words at that time. But what we didn't want to do was quench what God was doing in us that he was speaking to us in, in that moment to come to know him, that that was the first order of business. And here's what I know. Many of us are here, and that's the first order of business for us, that God wants to do an amazing work in your life. But this is where it begins, in praying, inviting Jesus to come into your life, asking him to forgive you of all of your sins, to put your life on a brand new path as a child of his. I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together if we can. And Lord, thank you for how much you love us, that you should send your son to die for us. And so Lord, I ask and pray that there are probably many in this room who've never made that decision, who would say, where do I even begin? God, may this be the day that they experience your love grace and forgiveness so tangibly that they would know you began to do a work in them. Listen, with every head bowed, with every eye closed as we're praying together, maybe you're in a place where you say, Pastor Bob, I want you to pray for me. I I want to invite Jesus to come into my life. I want to start. I want to make that decision. And so as we're praying together with every head bowed and eye closed, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. And you say, I want to make that decision. I'm just going to invite you to lift a hand so I can pray for you. So we can see God do an amazing work in your life. See a hand in the back. God bless you. You say today's the day that you want God to do a work in your life, to change your life. And Lord, I thank you for those whose hands have lifted that represent a heart that's open. And so God, I pray for them that as they make a decision and take a step in your direction, that you would do what only you can do, that you would change their lives, that you would forgive them and set their feet on a brand new path. Do an amazing work, I pray, Lord. In this moment, in this time, in Jesus' name, amen.